John, you good? I'm good. Let's roll, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome back to Build It, the non-league soccer podcast, where we talk to the lower league soccer people in America and elsewhere. Uh, joining me as ever, John Hall from DeKalb County. Hi, John. Hey, what's up, buddy? And joining us this week, uh, Mr. John Morgan and his beard. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Oh, very well, I believe. John, as befits us these days, could you give us a brief 30-second to five-minute introduction as to who you are, what you do, and why you think we're talking to you? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is uh, John Morgan. I am a co-founder and the current chairman of the Roosevelt Soccer Club. Uh, we are a club located in Southern Maine. Uh, most of right now we're primarily a youth club, but we're looking to expand to include uh, 23U men's and women's teams, hopefully next summer. Um, most of our we've grad we uh, founded co-founded the club back in 2014. And we've gradually grown to include 15 teams. This is the first year where we really have set up a nice uh, 8U to 19U uh, pathway on the youth side. And uh, most of our players, we're at about 200 players or so now. And most of our players uh, come from four communities in the uh, the Portland suburbs. Okay, okay. Sorry, I was on mute. I, I like to let people just talk. And then when they stop talking, I'm like, yeah, I've got to take myself off me. All right. Um, I guess as an outsider to youth soccer, certainly American youth soccer, well, no, youth soccer, I was terrible as a youth, so no introduction to youth soccer at all. Um, what the hell were you thinking? Why have you got yourself embroiled in this shitstorm that is U.S. soccer, youth soccer? Um, yeah, we actually, it was, uh, forming a youth club sort of happened accidentally. Um, back in, I think, 2010, 2011, I was part of um, a high school coaching staff at my uh, alma mater here in, uh, here in Maine. And so long story short, became uh, the varsity head coach on the boys side. And so uh, the way we structure youth, youth soccer here in, Maine, uh, here in Maine, a lot of the youth programs are seen as feeder programs for high school programs. And so got involved with the local soccer uh, club in that community and was doing that for a few years and then had uh, a bit of a family uh, medical emergency where I felt like I needed to step down as the high school coach. Um, that was one of those positions where I was hoping to be in there for 20 or 30 years. Um, and one of the parents um, on that team who I'd also gone to, gone to high school with, um, he had a freshman son in the program. And so uh, the two of us were sitting at a dive bar uh, one one night and basically knowing that I could not make the commitment to the freshman that I was hoping to make uh, we kind of on the back of a napkin sketched out uh, the opportunity to just set up a two-team club um, basically U16 boys U18 boys um, that would allow me to kind of help uh, run off-season programming for for these players to get them through their their uh, high school career and then uh, so that was the original plan was basically a two or three year program and then see what was next 
And then um, we got a cold call from a, a U13 coach from a couple communities or coaches from a couple communities. And so we added a U13 boys team. And then here we are eight years later, we've been much better at this than we thought we would be. And so we're at 15 teams. And like I said, U8, uh, 8U to 19U. So um, when we set out to start this club eight years ago now, uh, we did not think we would be where we are today. No one ever does, right? It seems like a great idea in a dive bar when there's no lights. And like, I'm sure John can testify to the same thing. Like he didn't know what he was signing up for. I certainly didn't know what I was signing up for when I met yeah. him at a soccer game. Um, you said, um, I'm trying to phrase it right. Um, as, I, as I understand it, so you got you basically cater to the kids in the six months, but whatever, when it's not soccer season. Is that basically you're not flight in conflict to the high school stuff? Yeah, so uh, here in Maine, high school age players play from basically August to maybe early November. And then we also, through Soccer Maine, which is our uh, our uh, parent organization here in Maine, affiliated with USU Soccer, um, they run town-based program, community-based programming for U9 to U14 players in the fall. And so uh, there are some clubs historically that have tried to compete with those programs. We're a big believer in having our players represent their schools, represent their communities. Um, so we complement that programming by running our club from January through June. Okay, I think okay. it's. I think it's. Sorry, Nick. I think it's really interesting. I ha we haven't done a ton with youth stuff, certainly on this on this podcast. But I think some of the, um, just like the way you sat down and wrote out a long term plan and vision and mission and those kinds of things. Um, I haven't seen that a lot in my life in youth soccer. It seems to be more of something that um, I know that's kind of the, that's the kind of stuff I like to do on the adult side is like stand for more than just player development. I think youth stuff seems to, to be very focused on player development and where we can get you and da, 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 da. Yeah. What yeah. made you guys kind of like put that long-term plan, community impact, like where did all that mission stuff come from a lot of it was born out of the community the communities we were looking to serve so like i said I'd, I'd been a varsity boys coach at in a community called westbrook it's a suburb right outside of portland and uh it has a very much blue collar history uh very much a historical mill town um and over the last 20 to 30 years um it has also been an affordable community for a lot of immigrants uh coming to Maine for the first time and so um, whether it's uh, kids coming from different countries in Africa, or we have quite a quite a uh, Iraqi diaspora um, in our community, it was a case where as a high school coach, I would have 50 or 60 kids in my program. And um, I think at one point I had one player who was able to uh, play off season club because they were able to afford registration fees, but just as important, their, their family was able to uh, you know, take care of transportation, especially to out of state leagues that a lot of these clubs were playing at the time. So when we were looking to kind of bridge, help bridge three or four years for the for for these players, it was almost what is the status quo of different clubs in the area? And can we basically do the opposite? And so whereas the whereas the uh, predominant clubs were sending their teams all over New England uh, pretty often for competitions, we were very much devoted to uh, helping build up what's what's called the Maine State Premier League. 
Um, whereas most of the clubs were professionalized clubs, even though of course they're immature clubs, um, we were very much an amateur club uh, in the sense that I think at the time, yeah, we did pay our coaches stipends, but like all the work off the field was for free. And that really allowed us to keep our registration fees low. Um, so in a lot of ways, it, how we our club started and how we've sort of continued was born out of the fact that uh, we felt like we needed to do these things in order to be what we wanted to be. Give the community what they want. And that's like you, you identified the problem. Yeah. You know, with with costs and fees and all that. So that's that's one of the big talking points with youth soccer, obviously, is the financial impact yeah. of it. Nick, do you want me yeah, to just keep uh, jamming? Because I got a I got a question. I'm a no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm into logistics and business and structure and um, yeah. What does your staff look like? Um, obviously, coaches, but like above coaches and admin. Uh, what does that look like? Is it all volunteer? Probably. Like, what does some of that look like? Like, how do you how do you function day to day? Uh, you know, month to month, and and so on. Yeah, we've we've definitely evolved. Uh, when we first started, like I said, we had three teams. So um, I think I was pretty much doing most, if not all, of the off-field admin. Um, but then we also had uh, team managers for each of the teams who took care of a lot of the the team level uh, logistics. And we have gradually evolved to where um, I think we have a nine-person board of directors, um, and we had formerly been a nonprofit. We'd actually been part of a an incubator club. Um, and so, but we became an independent club, uh, within the last couple of years. And so now there are 9 of us who, uh, take care of a lot of the off field stuff. And just recently started paying ourselves a stipend. Um, but that stipend ranges from depending on the role, uh, about 1200 to about 2500. Um, so it's nice to get some compensation. Um, but we're definitely not quitting our day jobs for it. Um, and then once again, at the team level, we have the coaches who we pay stipends and then we have team managers for each team as well. So, um, definitely with a larger program, we've, we've had to, you know, uh, expand our staff, if you will. Um, but it's all, we're all moonlighting, um, as part of the, as part of our work. Do you guys, um, supplement through any sponsorship with local businesses and stuff? Is that a area you've identified and been successful with? Yeah, we've been, we've been fortunate. Um, we've tried to think our very first sponsor. I think we actually secured that sponsor for our jerseys in February, uh, right before like our first tournament in March. And so it was literally one of those things where I'll never forget our, the first tournament, our, one of our teams competed in, uh, we were actually handing out jerseys in uniforms in the parking lot, freshly printed with the, with the, with that first sponsor right before their first game. Um, and then we had a sponsor for, I think, two or three years. Um, and then our, our most recent sponsor is Junction Bowl. And so that's a, that's a uh, Gorham-based uh, bowling alley and restaurant. And they've been great partners because uh, one of the things we've been able to do is do a lot of social events with them. So, I mean, that, that's, it's interesting as, like I said, we, we now have our academy, which is a, a separate entity. Um, but, you know, obviously there's some collaboration in, in as much as we can with off the field stuff and in events yeah. and sponsorship and all that. So I'm always trying to figure out ways that we can tie in together and, and provide not only like I don't like just taking checks from businesses, 
I yeah. want there to be like, what are, what are we going to use this money for? And yeah. um, if it's, hey, we're going to be able to lower every player's fees by 10 bucks, you know, every little bit to help the families and stuff is is a uh, powerful thing. Do you, uh, I'm just rambling and Nick knows I do this. Um, it seems to me, and I, and I haven't, I don't follow your club closely, but, but yeah. in looking at some of the stuff that I have seen, um, you guys do pretty decent marketing actually for, a, for actually for a youth club. I think it's, it's pretty good. Um, Appreciate do it. You, you do all that. I mean, obviously yeah. there's more than just you, but are you the, are you the marketing guy and what is your, yeah, if, I mean, chances are if something is posted on Facebook or Twitter, uh, it's, it's been me all along and it continues to be me. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, uh, either before my day, my real job or, or late at night, but yeah, we try to definitely, um, you know, I think some of the bigger youth clubs, well, I don't think, I know some of the bigger youth clubs in this area or you know, nationwide, they probably have marketing budgets that dwarf our entire operating budget. Um, so being able to maximize that, that, you know, free social media presence is definitely something that has helped us grow. What um, a perfect segue, you said grow. So in eight years, you've, you've enjoyed steady growth. Um, we talked a little bit before we started about um, expectations, but like, what do you attribute the growth um, most to in your first eight years? Yeah, I think it's, I think it, we, st eight years later, we still very much fill the niche of more affordable playing opportunities, more local playing opportunities, um, and less travel. Um, so we still fill that niche, but we have also um, put together quality teams that compete very well at the state level. Um, here and there, pockets here and there, depending on the age groups, we've been able to compete at the regional level as well. Like uh, a few years ago, we were able to send, I think it was our then 50 new boys team down to New Jersey for uh, USYS regionals. And they were pretty competitive in those games. Um, so I think combining the affordability with the quality, um, I think becoming the affordable club, so far we've sort of been the affordable club, but, the affordable club, but can they offer our, you know, my son or daughter quality playing opportunities? The affordable club, but can they, will they compete in a competitive league, et cetera, et cetera? And I think what we're trying to become, and we've gradually been making progress on it, is can we be the most affordable club and can we be the most affordable club and provide good quality player development and uh, compete at, at higher levels? Um, so that's the biggest thing is, is not relying on the crutch of being the most affordable club or the club that doesn't ask you to travel out of state as often as other clubs, um, have that, those as selling points, but it needs to be backed up by quality too. Yeah. I, I think you, you guys, um, from what you said, it sounds like you echo one of the things I say all the time, but when you, when you have an organization or a company or anything, if, if you're, if you have like that mission statement, like. Why, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Yeah. And a lot of times you have those with nine people on your board. I'm sure there's some conversations where you're like, I don't know, we could go either way. And usually if you answer how, which one of these meets our mission the best, it drives you to your answer. And you could usually save about an hour of debate. If you yeah. just like put that at the forefront of the conversation. And I think that's something that new clubs, you know, we, we do this podcast to try to help clubs, we want a club in every community. That's our Nick, right? That's our unofficial model. Um, 
that's that's our mission with this podcast. Yep. So how do we do that? Well, know what your club stands for and what you're about, and then just keep solving that over and over again. And as long as you've done that, definitely on the youth side. I got. I'm going to nerd out one more thing, and then I'm yeah. going to um, shut up, which is rare for me. Um, <laughs> you mentioned going to adding some of the under 23s and kind of going more to like a senior team. Um, just curious what your, that's obviously kind of where we're coming from. I'm curious what yeah. your plans are there and uh, how you're going to unroll that and make it successful. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of things we're kind of doing, I feel like the United States in general and Maine in particular, our soccer cultures are slowly maturing. And so I, I feel like historically here in the U.S. and here in Maine, you were either a youth club or you were a, an adult club, but you were never both. And um, I think that's improving at the national stage. And I think it's starting to improve a little bit here in Maine, but there's no foundation for us to build on. Um, in, 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 in our state, you, we basically have about a dozen uh, Division three men's and women's soccer programs. Uh, collegiate soccer programs, and then we have a, a Division One women's uh, college program. Um, but other than that, there is no formal organized uh, soccer for anyone beyond high school that's not affiliated with any type of U.S. soccer um, affiliated league or organization. And so what we're trying to do now that we have more and more alums, if you will, um, in our club, we're trying to extend that pathway to 23 youth. Uh, we have a number of players playing collegiately. Uh, the feedback we got was if we could have some type of 23 year programming in the men's, uh, men's and women's during the summer. So even something as simple as either a one weekend event to get started or as ambitious as maybe a six week league, uh, we've got to put something on the field. Um, when we started the club, Back in 2014, our goal was basically to get uniforms on the field, you know, have some type of physical presence. And so we're taking that same tact with men's and women's programming. Let's just get uniforms on the field. Let's get uh, teams on the field to get started. And then it'll, everything will kind of fall in place after that. Do you, um, do you plan on just having like a team entering another league or are you going to actually sort of run in like an in-house four teams and run your own league or what are you thinking? Yeah, I think what we're envisioning is um, we did try to work with the youth uh, state association to have it become uh, a uh, joint association that's not only associated with USYS, but also USASA, uh, US Adult Soccer Association. And, um, and that did not work. So now we're in the process of actually starting our own um, state association affiliated with the u.s adult soccer association and so that it's tied to the u.s soccer um, infrastructure and then the goal is to have at least four of us clubs uh who are you know uh very similar to ours where you know it's u8 to uh, 19u the goal is to have at least four of us put together teams so that if we wanted to do a, a six game schedule we could do home and away um, or if we wanted to just start off with a weekend event, uh, you could you could have a round robin that way as well. So um, it's definitely going to incorporate at least three. It's going to have to incorporate at least three other clubs. Sure. No, that's that's a exciting. Uh, I was part of uh, the creation of the Midwest Premier League here in yes. uh, the Midwest, obviously, and uh, 
just we started just like that like let's just yeah. get three or four teams that want to do something and then um we didn't have an idea of what we were doing at the yeah. time as far as like growth potential and yeah. all that so if there's anything i can help you with uh and helping with that uh reach out anytime i'll i'll uh, let nick jump back in here yeah i appreciate that and i've heard nothing but great things about uh about your league um and a handful of other regional leagues and so I think we're focused on trying to build it up in Maine, but um, I'm not sure if there's a ton of a of a presence in northern New England. So, you know, assuming we can kind of get something up in 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 Maine uh, over the next few years, I think the next goal would be to try to you know look at what you guys are doing in the Midwest and a couple of the other regional leagues and seeing if uh, we can kind of replicate that in our area, which seems to be lacking that infrastructure. There's got to be something that you can coattail off the back of the success that Vermont has seen, right? Because that their branding and everything is just, and I'm assuming it's filtered across the border in some way. I know it's a, even to my limited geographic knowledge, it's a fair ways, but it's still the closest thing you've got, right? So yeah, there's yeah. got to be yeah. What what is the adult soccer scene like around your neck of the woods then? Um, it is very much uh, sort of informal and pickup. Mm -hmm. um, if a if a collegiate player is going to play during the summer, for example, it might be ten bucks to drop in on a Wednesday night at a at a certain facility and play pickup. Um, I think there have been like men's and, and over thirty leagues, um, but those are all sort of either run by um, by a facility or run by as like an in house league, or you know maybe something that's more at the recreational level. Um, but there's nothing that gives a college player sort of a, a good structure that they'd be looking for during the summer. Yeah, that's, it's, it's the ongoing challenge, right? It's, the, ge the geography is just so vast. Yeah. That it, like, especially when you're out in the sticks. But anyway, um, well, I, there's a reason we, I wanted to talk to you. But before we get to that bit, I want to talk about something that you put on your the, your most recent blog post, which may have been a few weeks, if not months ago now, about how you'd saved your members, uh, members even, um, upwards of a million dollars through yes. being the most affordable thing in town. Um, yeah. What's been the reception from those established, quote, professional youth organizations to this upstart, rough around the edges, taking our business, like, yeah. Well, what's what's been the reception? Yeah, what I would say I would say when it comes to like the professionalized clubs, well, there used to be two, but now there's pretty much one that's kind of structured that way. I would say for the most part, I would say benign neglect, um, in the sense that um, they tend to they, historically, well, even now they don't really uh, roster a lot of their teams in the same state-based league we play in. Um, they they play in more regional New England-based leagues. And so I think the combination of the fact that I think they're still getting healthy numbers. Um, so I think we've more grown the player pool as opposed to, you know, there being any type of uh, zero sum game when it comes to when it comes to registration or, or the players, the number of players being registered. So I would say for the most part, um, you know, there's a there's a probably about half of a dozen half a dozen of us clubs that are based here in Maine and um, play in Maine, and we're kind of spread out around the around the state. And then there's basically one more professionalized club that sends their teams elsewhere. And I would say for the most part, the five or six of us clubs work really well within the state of Maine. 
And then the other club sort of focuses on doing what it does with other partners elsewhere. Interesting. Because, John, I'm sure you recall the chat we had with our friend down in Florida the other week, um, who's running kind of the hybrid of both of our organizations, well, our organization now, I guess, and as much as he's got the, he's got um, his adult setup and he's also running the youth setup. And his feedback was um, that he was finding getting immense resistance from um, existing pre-existing youth soccer setups to the point where they weren't they were almost get, they were getting emails sent out saying don't attend this adult soccer game because they're going to try and poach your kids. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, just... if I remember correctly, uh, when we first got started, and you know we had two teams, and then it had grown to three before we even started really playing. I do remember one of the one of the pre-existing clubs kind of inviting me into the office and definitely feeling us out as far as what we were looking to do. And at the, at the time, it was you know looking to have maybe two or three teams for you know the next two or three years, and then after that, we have no idea. Um, and then I think you know, as opposed to you know going from three teams to fifteen overnight, I think because our our growth was gradual and they were still able to, you know, pay all their bills and everything. I think there was just uh, sort of two passing uh, ships in the, in the night, if you will. I think, you I think one, of the, one of the things, sorry, Nick, one of the things that I've, um, I actually had somebody reach out to me this last weekend in our community that um, even from that, like recreational soccer to club soccer with our academy now, there's a gap there, not only in yeah. the financial commitment, but the time commitment. And with, again, like you talk about solving a problem. Well, there's there's families that maybe can't afford it. There's also families that the, these kids, these 10 year old kids also do uh, baseball. They also do dance. They also do gymnastics where yeah. kids are sort of forced to choose so quickly in life now yeah. and specialize where I think there's actually a, an opportunity. Um, it, this gets into ego, right? If you're willing to not necessarily be the best club, whatever that yeah. means, but you can definitely fill a hole and run an organization in a in a in a business that fits the needs of the people you're serving, and um, and I think it's nice to be able to do that. Like like your growth, I bet. Same point. I don't want to have to drive x number of hours down to New Jersey for a game. Yeah. Or a weekend when right. I could play here yeah. and have my weekend back. Yeah. Like I think I think you're you're just creating a solution to a problem that a lot of us parents like we we deal with. Those are should we sign up for this thing? I don't know. It's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, where do you actually get to be a kid anymore? All those things. And and so I think it's cool that you're uh you're putting a little spin on sort of traditional travel next level soccer and and creating a cooler um yeah. I, yeah, I would say definitely when we got started, the, I guess we would have a three-legged stool, right? Uh, affordability um, and uh, the lack of out-of-state or consistent out-of-state travel. Our, all our teams still compete at least once or twice a year in out-of-state tournaments. Um, and then and then the, the, the flexibility of doing other sports or activities. Um, I mean, we've never done a survey, but I would imagine... 80 to 90% of our cl uh, club's players, if not higher, play other sports and other activities. And so it's a case where we always ask parents to, um, you know, notify our coaches if they're, if they're expecting 
an absence, but uh, playing time will not be negatively affected if a if a kid has to miss every Tuesday night session because they have a baseball game during the spring. Um, so those are those are definitely the three ways we've dif yeah. differentiated ourselves. So every every single study you read says give kids exposure to five hundred sixty two things, not one thing, right? So right. it's, it's yeah. a no brainer. Let's talk about this fifty year plan of yours. Yeah. Because that's when I first, I know, I remember when you first announced it on Twitter. You probably announced it before, but when I first saw, saw it on Twitter, um, yeah. it was like, A, Jesus Christ, is it really going to take 50 years? Um, and B, it was like, in a negative sense, I was like, I, I've seen those proposals before in the UK of just like these, um, and I'm not putting in the same oligarch position, but like someone yeah. comes in, buys a soccer club that's a Wrexham, right? And yeah. says, we're going to yeah. be in the premiership in 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, um, so, I, yeah, and like, that was my gut reaction. Oh, Jesus, another one. And clearly it's not that, right? Clearly, A, yeah. you're not, if you're, if you're a rich benefactor, you're hiding it very well and you're doing a really shit job of using it. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, um, a, I'm a high school teacher who, uh, <laughs> who has a couple of side hustles that uh, don't really make any money. Mm -hmm. I hear you. So, um, given that it's not, it's clearly not that, yeah. um, why? Given what we've already spoken about in terms of um, the paucity of a, a soccer culture in that part of the world, um, why give yourself the additional headache? I think it was, I think it was a combination of a couple of things. Um, one, it was a combination of, in some ways, uh, you know, we started in 2014. And then I think we, I really started thinking about this, uh, you know, five or six years in where in a lot of ways, five or six years in, we'd already ex like far exceeded our expectations, right? This was supposed to be a two or three year project to get uh, a relatively small cohort of players through their high school careers, uh, playing off season club that they otherwise couldn't afford or commit to because of travel responsibilities. And so five years later, you know, I don't know exactly what we're at, but maybe we're at 10 teams and maybe we've been able to on the boys side. I think at that point we had been able to do 9U to 18U and on the girls side, we were, we were starting to, to grow that on the, on the same side. And it's a lot of time and effort. And so five or six years into it, it's like, okay, we've uh, not only achieved our initial goals, but we far exceeded what we initially wanted. Um, why personally do I want to keep doing this? And um, I needed a bigger purpose, like I'm speaking personally now, but I needed a bigger purpose than to do what we had been doing for the last five or six years. Um, I needed some explanation, some carrot, dangling carrot, if you will, to kind of give incentive to keep doing what we're doing and, and do it well. And so just, uh, you know, over time, uh, it's becoming a lot more familiar. I mean, when I had, when I had started the club, you know, I was an avid soccer reader. You know, was very familiar with the with the global landscape of soccer and everything like that. But um, you know, when you sort of start your own club and then you you know, I, at the, at that time I, I uh, spent a week over in Iceland visiting a, a few clubs and getting to know that uh, subculture pretty well. And so knowing that. Uh, you had communities of 4,000 people over in Iceland, and they had a community-based club that was not only competing at the second division in a three-division pyramid over there, but they were aspiring to get to the first division. Uh, it was sort of one of those questions, well, why not us? Like, if, if clubs from communities much smaller than the four communities we tend to represent 
um, are, you know, have those aspirations, why not us? Now, obviously, there are a variety of reasons why our club probably shouldn't, including a very big reason, but we won't get into that. Um, but it's why not keep doing, why not, like, uh, set a target for 30 years, and it's far enough so that, you know, if in 2048, we're not a professional club, no one will probably remember that 28 years ago, we said we wanted to become a professional club. But just as important, those of us who are working in the club now, we have sort of a North Star that uh, kind of gives us an idea of where we want to go while also knowing where, we, where we've been. So I would say uh, partly it was due to the fact that um, we're five or six years in and we've been more successful than I figured we would be. Um, and then, of course, you had COVID. And so you had a, so went from sort of, uh, you know, focused on just making sure that the, our 8U girls team had the, you know, the facility booked tomorrow night that, that, that we thought they were going to have, while also making sure that the 18U boys uniforms are all set for the tournament this weekend. You know, went from all those day-to-day -day logistics that had been sort of dominating our last five or six years to, okay, uh, the whole world is shutting down, and including our club for the next three or four months. Um, so let's think big picture now that we have a time, you know, a moment to, to catch our breath. So it was uh, sort of perfect timing of having been to Iceland, becoming a lot more familiar with a, a country who has a much smaller population, as bad, if not worse climate than Maine, uh, less wealth than Maine, because those are usually the big threes against us, right? We're, we're too small, our weather is crappy, and we're too poor. And so you've got you know, a country who has clubs with those aspirations. Uh, we were doing better than we had ever expected and uh, had a lot of time to think. Makes sense, makes perfect sense. Can I be negative for a second? Absolutely. And um, I, I say this like fully behind what you're trying to do. So I'm just, um, I just don't see a way of phrasing this question without sounding negative. Yeah, um, in the course of doing this podcast, we've spoken to a lot of clubs who have grandiose ideas and may or may not have the, the financial backing, um, but, they seem oblivious to the fact that the community doesn't want them as a soccer club. Like they, they, by all means, the, the kids' soccer thing, but the concept of going out and supporting this club from rain and shine and cheering them on um, just seems alien to them. Yeah. From what you're saying, there isn't a soccer mad culture where you are. Otherwise, the clubs would already exist, right? That's always my premise. Um, so why, again, why bother? But like, if people, if... Are you setting yourself up for for failure by trying to achieve a thing that people don't want? Like, there's got to be people coming out and supporting your your adult club, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a case where uh, the landscape is so, uh, in some cases, barren that you at, uh, at first blush you don't necessarily know if that interest is there, but at the same time, um, I've definitely seen. Uh, a maturation process of soccer fans here in the US who are a lot more familiar with um, sort of soccer cultures around the rest of the world. And so whether it's something like Ted Lasso or Welcome to Wrexham or, you know, there, there's or, or waking up and watching their favorite Premier League team, uh, at, you know, on a Sunday morning at 730. Um, I think part of it is going to be us literally building this one fan at a time. 
one supporter at a time. Um, you know, who knows how many play, how many folks will be at our first 23U men's and women's team. Um, but I know it'll be more than zero. And the fact that we started our club with basically $1,000 and zero players and we're here, you know, eight years later, um, you know, the good news is we don't want to become, we don't plan on becoming a professional club in the next three years or the next five years. And so we've given ourselves a really long runway. Um, and the goal is to literally just build it one step at a time. So, so you're, you're literally building the culture, right? There's, that we're helping, may or not be there, but it's, if it's there, it's hidden in the dark lights. You just, yeah, we're yeah. helping build the culture. Um, and then the other piece is, is there is an ownership group who's looking to bring a USL1 club to Portland. And so, you know, they're, I think, kind of expanding the ceiling a little bit as well. Um, and so I think, you know, it, you know, we're kind of going with the idea that all tides will or, or high tides will lift all, all boats. And so, um, you know, do we think that do we think there's a, a, a large enough demand for us to have a, you know, a pro club today, our club? No, definitely not. Um, but I think there's definitely enough interest for us to get a few people at 23U. And then once it becomes part of a, the community uh, culture to, you know, hopefully within 10 or 15 years, now we're more at a regional level and, you know, competing, you know, at a higher level. Um, so it's definitely a combination of focusing on the short term, the day to day, but also having that long term goal that we know that we're kind of working toward. I get it. I get it. Again, it wasn't like you're, you're, you're doomed. It was just like. Yeah. I want you to succeed, dude, and we yeah. need more people with your drive and your passion and your vision, and I don't want it like to be beaten out of you by whatever. Um, why Negative on Earth? British. The British, yeah, I'm oh, telling no, you. I, that was me being enthusiastic and positive. Come on, give me a yeah. break. Um, why, given where you are, and I don't know the geography, so it might be a yeah. huge significance, but what's the, what's the, the deal with the name? Because it, it, to me, it lacks a certain degree of local branding. Yeah, but I could does. be wrong. No, it, it does to a certain extent. Um, so, so it's it, we're named after uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, I think at the time when we were looking at potential names, there had just been uh, a book written by a main author. Uh, I think it's called Becoming Teddy Roosevelt, and it's a, it's basically about Roosevelt's experiences, formative experiences in Maine, uh, growing up in the, in, in, in uh, you know in the Maine outdoors. Um, so that was one piece. The other piece is there's actually a road that connects uh, three of the communities called Roosevelt Trail, and that's named after him. Um, and so it was tied. It was tied to that. Uh, so in some ways, it doesn't seem local, but in some ways, it does have main tie-ins. And now, of course, it sort of has sort of a double meaning for us because you know we've been pretty outspoken about you know uh, you know th believing that anywhere any club anywhere can should be able to achieve its greatest potential. And of course, Roosevelt is the great trust buster who was looking to, you know, break up all the different uh, conglomerates and oligarchies. And so it's sort of evolved to that as well. Um, but there are a couple of main tie-ins. Yeah. Okay. It's just, yeah, like, again, there's an outsider. It just, you know, it's yeah. not, you're not and calling then, yourself. And I should say the, the bull, bull, of course, is a reference to the bull moose party, right? Of the, the progressive, uh, party that Roosevelt tried to get started uh, back in what, 1912, so.
I'll, I'll take your word for that. That's that. That's where my American studies degree fails me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Bit, but okay. Cool. Um, John, any more for any more before we start wrapping up? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm excited right. about a lot of stuff you got going. Actually, the, your your North Star reference. Um, that's something that that even in our club we we haven't sat down and uh, uh, pointed one yet. We're um, we we've got lots of uh, ideas and concepts, but we haven't sat down and wrote our uh, Jerry Maguire um, <laughs> letter yet and said this is where we're going and yeah. uh, who's coming with us. So I envy you that you took the time to do that. We launched a podcast during COVID, so yeah. Uh, yeah. you know yeah. who's laughing now, hey? Yeah, know. yeah. And both of our <laughs> listeners really appreciate the uh, the uh, time, but um, but I, no, I think that's really. I think that's not. I don't think it's too ambitious. I think it's part of part of it. Our challenge too is we talk about culture all the time and, and creating a culture where now uh, kids and their parents, you know, you 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 watch the Wrexham stories and all that stuff, and it's. It's little kids going with their moms or dads or whatever, and then right. in thirty years, you're going to have you're almost going to have grandkids of yeah. your original players maybe coming back to watch. Like it, the culture just takes time, and it takes people like you and like being uh, out there and and helping create it and making kids love the game and love not just the sport itself, but the environment and the culture of the sport and. Uh, I don't think it's I, I, it's ambitious for sure, but right. Why not you, right? Absolutely, yeah. And it's one of those we're already sorting, sort of uh, starting to see the the fruits of our labor, right? Where we have uh, we're starting to develop younger coaches who started with us as some of our original players, and then uh, the goal is to have some of our you know players, of course, go on to play for our twenty three men's in women's teams. So it's definitely a case of, you know, recognizing that it's going to take consistently take a lot, a lot more work to get where we want to be. Um, but at least, uh, at least have that goal in mind. No, it's exciting. I think you guys are doing a, doing a really cool thing. And uh, so it's it. actually nice, nice to talk to somebody that's in a little, you're, you're, you're building it differently, right? We built it with an adult club and then it sort of grew down to the youth and, and yep. you you started from just like a one or two team thing and now you have these lofty long-term ambitions and it's neat the cool thing yeah. about it is that we could, every community will support it differently exactly so so doing it doing it your way here may not have been the same and doing it my way there might not yep. have worked the same and it, it's yep. neat that there's people trying different things and it's important that we tell each other stories and what's worked and what hasn't worked and and yeah absolutely you know, how do you relate to the other youth clubs and how do you relate to the college programs and yeah. high school programs and how do we you know how do we just just keep building it yeah, yeah. absolutely it's yeah one of the things i love about doing this podcast is just the exposure to um different ideologies and like but ideologies but equally like-minded individuals right we're all trying to do a thing that um the man doesn't seem to want us to do, but yeah. we all know there's a reason to do that. Um, he said, veering very close to the, the elephant in the room that we don't talk about. Right. Um, this is all well and good. This is all been fantastic. I'm sure, I'm, as John says, our two listeners have really enjoyed it. But a man with that beard um, likes two things in my experience: yeah. good music and good uh, good music and good beer. Um, we can't do anything about the beer, but I'm sure you've got a tie in somewhere with some local brewery. But um, what would you like us to play you out with? 
Uh, let's see. Uh, do you have do you have access to Spose? He's a main uh, rapper. Not that he doesn't mean he's a main. Did you say a main rapper? <laughs> uh, wow. You guys may remember the song "Awesome" way back in the day. Yeah, uh, that was that was his big hit. Um, right. Let's do uh, let's do Three Little Birds" by Bob Marley. We'll keep it. We'll, right. we'll keep it universal instead of uh, instead of mean centric. I can do that. Is, that. is that an Ajax thing or just a, or a reggae thing for you? What's that? Is that was that an Ajax choice or or just a Bob Marley choice? Or... Um, well, it's funny because we I think it's Ajax really... that adopted. Was it Ajax that adopted it? And if if you're in Maine and you say you like Bob Marley, it maybe you're actually referring to a Maine comedian. But uh, no, grew okay. up in high school and always listened to Bob Marley. Okay, fair enough. Call them that way. What it, what it is. Um, if people are interested, more interested in your story, where can they reach out to you and, and find out more and get in contact with you, my friend? Yeah, so RooseveltSoccer at gmail.com, Roosevelt with one O. And then. What, oh, hang on, let's stop you there. Why? I know there's a story. Here. Uh, one was phonetic. To make sure people okay. knew it was Roosevelt as opposed to Roosevelt. Um, it also, I think, it looks better. And uh, our, our crest and our colors were actually originally going to be a rose and uh, red and black. Um, but there was some story why we didn't do that. So that was the time. Okay. Because, right, cool. because uh, Roosevelt's family shield had roses in it. That as well. Yeah. And at the time when we were about to launch, uh, one of the bigger clubs was also in the process of shifting their colors from red to black, or we had heard they were. Um, so we went with the the orange and the navy and then went to the so- Little known fact, I just I, I replied to an email to you. You, yep. you are the only other person with a Latin phrase in your signature besides me and Nick, probably. Oh, nice. I think, nice. I think that's an incredibly cool, random, non-league, lower American soccer stat. There's, well, there I mean, cannot it, be a lot of Latin signatures. Well, I mean, when you have, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the, uh, the, the Roosevelt family uh, motto. And so when you have that as the particular motto, like we just couldn't resist. Yep. No, I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's a great meeting. Yeah. Absolutely appreciate Take it. Thank you. Don't worry.